Welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach and Adam. Yes. I was I was dealing with the curse that all of us in society have to deal with. Elon Musk? Close. Uh, no, I was. he's mentioned in it, actually. Uh, I was dealing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was gonna. That was when you said he's mentioned. I was thinking Iron Man one. <laughs> it was Iron Man two, actually. But oh, okay. You remember how they said, "Hey, we're gonna do a movie about the Guardians of the Galaxy and all this weird stuff," but having a space shield would be too much. So we're gonna call Sword just some other people. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That bugs me. That's all. That's okay. Just bugs hey, me. Hey, did you get around to watching the holiday special where they chase Kevin Bacon around for half an hour? It's fun. That's a great question. The answer is no, and it does <laughs> sound like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Your son might like it. No, I'm here. My son's favorite Guardian of the Galaxy is Mantis, who is on the preview image. Yeah, she's the star of that of that special. Well, then my son wants to watch it solely because of that. <laughs> We're getting off track. We're not talking about the guardians this week. We are talking about some other extraterrestrial heroes though. Who's our subject this week, Zach sword. That's right. Not the 10 of swords, just the, the astonishing X-Men variety. Well, you know, when you think about it for the X-Men, it really was the 10th sword. It was. Yeah. The peak, uh, which is a space, Station, which sits in Earth's orbit and helps protect Earth from intergalactic foes. Not to be confused with the current iteration of Alpha Flight. The current... I'm trying to remember my Incredible Hulk continuity. No, the current iteration of Alpha Flight does still exist. Uh, Even though Henry Peter Gyrick is no longer uh, running it. Mm. Because Henry Peter Gyrick is no longer breathing, which is great. Love it. Love it. Kill those orcas, people. You know, Henry Peter Gyrick, what an interesting character. And he does factor into this episode. He sure does. But I, you know, I like S.W.O.R.D. in general as a concept. It's probably the best thing that Joss Whedon added to the X-Men. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not break world. <laughs> and it's not danger. And uh, I like danger, though. Yeah, but S.W.O.R.D. is way better than Danger. S.W.O.R.D. is way better than Danger. Yeah, Abigail, Abigail Brand in general is just like a great character. So Armor is pretty great despite Joss Whedon. Yes, though still never used in abundance. But It's okay. Uh, I get it. Obviously, we like S.W.O.R.D. Um, who requested this? They must like S.W.O.R.D. too. They must like S.W.O.R.D. And and Adam, Adam, you, you were talking to me. Who requested this one? I believe it's Matus Svetolovsky. And and if we're mispronouncing that, I apologize. Um, But we really hope that they enjoy S.W.O.R.D. because we are going to take it back to the first S.W.O.R.D. miniseries written by Kieran Gillen and drawn by Steven Sanders. Yeah. uh, And hey, if you want to be like... uh... Mateo, so you can go over to patreon.com slash comicsxf to reach deep down into your hearts and pocketbooks and throw a couple of coins into our coffers. Hey, guess who finally cleaned up all of the tiers so that uh, we're not over-promising and under-delivering because somebody realized that uh, it wasn't feasible to do all the things that he had committed to several years ago and then well, stopped doing them but forgot to update the Patreon. That's okay. It, it was time and uh, nice work there, sir. Finally, finally happened. But if you go over to the Patreon, it's very easy to figure out the tier that will allow you for $5 to get your own episode of Battle of the Atom, all for you, all special. You get, you have to share it. Everyone gets to listen, but you get to be the star. You get to be the teacher's <laughs> helper for the day. And uh, we'll let you, uh, you know, clap the erasers together and get the chalk. You can be the line it. leader. It's really, it's, it's a big deal. I yes, think. I agree. Um, just like being the leader of sword is a big deal. Yeah, so um, let's let's talk about the leader of Sword, which is obviously uh, Gyrick. You know, at least at the beginning of this series, it looks like that way. 
Oh, we're talking about Henry Peter Gyrick, uh, the worst dude. <laughs> yes, Mr. Xenophobia himself is being in, put in charge of a space station. Um, I don't think this is going to go well. What do you think? I think Henry Peter Gyrick, uh, his best role in anything is being the worst dude. <laughs> he makes He's the guy excellent that Al Cooper is like, screw you. He's the guy... <laughs> He's the guy that Abigail Brand's like, screw you. <laughs> no one likes Henry Peter Gyrick. Henry Peter Gyrick's the guy that like, well, the Avengers need to have a black guy on our team so that we can meet a quota. Oh, God. You know who probably does like Gyrick, though, maybe at least a little bit to have given him this job is Mr. Norman Osborn, because we are. This story is taking place during the time of Hammer. Oh, we're talking about the Dark Reign. That's right. So uh, we've got some. What is it? What is his Avengers called? The Dark Avengers? Yeah, they're the Dark Avengers. Yeah, they pop up here at some point. But, uh, you know, with Guy Rich in control, things are not going to go well on this day. Um, however, a lot of funny hijinks are going to happen. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the writing of this. Gillen is obviously playing a lot of this story for laughs, and I think it works pretty well. <laughs> It's interesting because if you think if you think in terms of Kieran Gillen, this is very, very early in his comics work and mm-hmm. especially early in his Marvel work. Mm-hmm. This is his second miniseries. Uh, he did. Well, I guess technically it started go like at the same time as his Aries book. But this is right after his Beta Ray Bill God Hunter miniseries. <laughs> That's great. Beta Ray Bill does show up in this. I was just about to say that another character who's in this mini. Um, And Kieran is immediately showing a a lot of skill in juggling multiple plot lines, a bunch of different characters, um, pulling in very strange off the wall characters who you might not expect, like Death's Head. uh, Adam, can we talk about Death's Head here? (laughs) Adam, yes. Death's Head, yes. Yes, Death's Head, yes. <laughs> you are more of a Transformers guy than I am, yes? Yes. I uh, Do you know do you know the history you know the history of Death Head Death's Head, yes? Yes, Death's Head uh was um created by Marvel UK and did cross over with the Transformers, though not in its US incarnation. It goes deeper than that, my friend. Tell me the backstory here, because I I mean clearly Death said that said is including his second incarnation. Yes. Death said two, um, but this is Death said one. This is this is Death said one. This is Death said one before Doctor Who shrunk him down into regular size, so he's still Transformer size. Right, he's a big guy. And okay, two notes on that. One, oh, it's the Doctor, not Doctor Who. I don't care. Two, <laughs> I'm not joking. It, it's literally just like. The, the character from that British show that all these people are crazy about did shrink him down in Marvel continuity from Transformer size into regular dude size. Marvel UK is wild, man. <laughs> it's so, so what weird. had happened is they had made Death's Head uh, as a character for Marvel UK. Uh, it was Simon Furman who created him. And it was going to be in the Transformers books. Uh, but they got a look at... Uh, Jeff Sr. and Simon Furman's character work and said, hey, actually, let's not give this one to Hasbro. Um, So they quickly commissioned one of Brian Hitch's first pieces of comics work to put Death's Head in the back of like every Marvel UK book a week or two before the Transformers book came out so that they could argue that actually he didn't fall into the contract of being a Transformers character because he was a Marvel character first. Oh, wow. What a great idea. I, I never knew the backstory on the licensing there. I mean, great in terms of getting around a contract, maybe illegally, yes. <laughs> but we do have Death's Head from it, and that's great. If you guys do like Death's Head, go read any comic with Death's Head in it. If you want something more modern, uh, into your sensibilities, likely go read Teeny Howard's recent Death's Head series. Um, fantastic art. It's if it's if that doesn't sound like your thing because it's a character named Death's Head, know that it's also about Billy and Teddy from the Young Avengers. Um, <laughs> well, for people who don't know who Death's Head is, Death's Head is a Transformer-sized bounty hunter, freelance who... peacekeeping agent. 
yes, uh, who does end many of his sentences with the question, yes. Yes. Um, now, he is... All right, so when we start here, Gyrick is trying to basically push a bunch of very high-priority space stuff off to the side so that it will keep Abigail Brand occupied. Abigail so that, Brand, who is technically still in charge of S.W.O.R.D., but Gyrick is trying to push her out. Right, and so that when they have a meeting later on in the day, he can make sure she's distracted so that he can put forth a proposal to basically extradite every alien off of the planet earth and send them back to their home space communities, which is something only Gyrick would plan to do. <laughs> this does not go as planned because there's doesn't. a lot of things going on at the same time. It does in a depressing way. This comic is still relevant because it's, it's very openly a, story about you know migrant crises you know i because i'm american i think of people saying oh we need to send all these people back all these immigrants back to mexico all these illegals all this stuff which is unfortunately not just an american problem you see that throughout europe with refugee crises especially from africa and other places so i don't want to say that gillen was just talking to one thing but it is something that continues to this day which is terrible yeah um, at the same time, an alien species called the Drenks uh, is coming, and Lieutenant, is it Drayden? Dryden? I was Sidren. He is in charge of negotiations, um, even though he's terrified to do it. Death's Head is hunting down Abigail Br- Brand's brother, who we didn't Oh, yeah, realize. her brother Lothi, who is <laughs> just like, he is he is just the worst guy <laughs> he is well okay one yes he's a weird green dog guy who looks a lot like beast mm. who by the way this is actually a beast miniseries <laughs> oddly enough he's delightful in this him and abigail are really fun so let's 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 put a pin in beast i want to get right back around to him we will lothi is abigail brand's half brother uh we know abigail brand is half alien we also know that she is half mutant on her mother's side I'm glad you um, know that. I did. I. I mean, sure. Keep going. I think it's on her mother. It doesn't matter. Lothi's her brother. It is on her mother's side that she's a mutant because she. She said. She said that Hank reminds him her of his dad back in Astonishing X Men. It's a weird. It's a weird thing. Anyway, Abigail Brand's a furry, and her brother is a furry too, and she's got mixed up feelings with this. Her brother's the worst. He's every con man artist brother from every sitcom, including Thirty Rock, which I just watched an episode about. <laughs> Absolutely absolutely it's not gonna go well so we we have to deal with all of these moving pieces at once there's also the unit units here this is where unit gets introduced i love unit is this the the, first appearance of unit this is the first appearance of unit kieran gillen will then bring unit into his uncanny x-men and then i don't want to say wrap up his story in the secret wars siege miniseries Though, honestly, as I was reading our last or one of our other stories for this, I was like, man, we should have just read Siege. I forgot that was a sword book. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, Unit is really interesting. He's an artificial intelligence that can shapeshift into whatever alien species he's speaking to and has, you know, a superior computer mind. Um, so while all of this stuff is going on, he is captive, but also plotting against everybody at the same time. And by everybody, I mean, he's playing both sides and all sides know that he's playing all sides. And he's just like, listen, I, I'm just doing what's best for me. He's like, but these people are going to let you go. He's like, yeah, but they're going to let me go to a destroyed world. And I have a I'm a sentient like robot. I can just live in this cage and watch these monitors and I'm happy. <laughs> I don't need space. I'm good. Yeah, he's like, I will win eventually. I want it to be on my terms. Um, and he, th- he thinks in like eons, not in days, right? Because right. he's very old. He's an ancient alien. It's a concept that I would love to see come back. If Gillen, if Gillen wants to return to other plots, this is a great one to bring back. I think it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. But- um, while the Earth evacuation is going quite successfully, some other aliens who are um, like very stupid rock people invade uh, the area around Mount Rushmore because they believe. They 
They believe that the sculpture of Mount Rushmore means that their colleagues were beheaded and mounted as a trophy. And it's great. I think it's really funny. (laughs) This is a delightful series. I cannot emphasize enough. It's a lot of fun. It deals with a lot of big concepts. It's got, it's got just some fun character work. It has a Uh, dark Lockheed in it. Yeah. Lockheed Lockheed is, he does a lot of cool stuff in it. Beast really is the main, main focus of this. It's, this is right after Beast has, left the X-Men at the start of the Utopia era Mm -hmm. when he said, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't like you, Scott. And he leaves and he leaves to join sword because that's where Abigail brand is. And beast is treating this like this is just his time to get laid. (laughs) They are not that Abigail's doing a job. They are flirting constantly. There's a lot of really like funny little back and forths between them. There's a, there's a beginning there's a piece uh, right in the beginning where he brings her coffee and a muffin. And then the muffin comes back in the very last page of the last issue. And it's, you know, Gillen is just, you could tell he's got the whole thing mapped out. It's very, very smart. It's a very, it's it's a very cute callback. Yeah. Gillen does a great job. And Steve Sanders, who's the artist on this, I really think Sanders does an excellent job with 90% of the art, very detailed, very evocative, very, very fun. And Adam, you really liked his art. So I want to give you an opportunity to talk about it. Well, it I think what works for it is that it matches the tone of the book very well. So, you know, like I'm, I think we've said this a couple times now, the book is fun. It is funny. And Steve Sanders has a, has a kind of a cartoony quality to the way he draws characters that I think especially in the way he draws expressions in the way he draws body language that works really well. He draws a great death's head. Um, and I think it serves the story really well. So for example, at the end of the first issue, there's a backup feature by Jamie McKelvey. And my thought immediately was, Oh, I wonder if this book would look better if Jamie McKelvey had drawn it. But I, I think that Sanders is the better pick because I think it dials up the humor of the book a little bit more. To that point, you mentioned off air, I think the most contentious part of this book is probably the way that Sanders draws Beast. Sanders draws Beast like he's a horse and not a (laughs) cat person. And it's truly upsetting every time I see it. And I cannot get over it every time I look at it. It's just like, I, I feel... I feel like Nick Lowe should have gotten the first pages back from Sanders. Be like, Steve, this isn't what Beast looks like. You have, they're stylistic, and then there's off model. And Steve, you are so off model, it's going to be distracting. But he didn't do that, and he just let it ride. And I don't like that part of it. I think that's a perfectly fair criticism. There are lots of characters Lothi, the Drenks, um, Beast, Lockheed. Um, Lieutenant, I forgot his name again. Sidron. Sidron. They all have these longer snouts. And you're right. Beast is a little bit off model here because that snout is extended out farther than it normally would be. All of those are either new characters or characters that had a snout to begin with. I don't know why they gave Beast like an anteater mouth. Yeah, he, he... It doesn't bother me as much, but I can totally understand why it would bother you. <laughs> you know, I just accepted it. Like I was like, oh, that looks weird. But I'm like, okay, I, I don't care. This is fun. Um, Jamie McCovey would have drawn this better and that's fine. Um, that's, just, that's just my opinion. That's where I stand on this. I agree fine. that Jamie McKelvey is a better artist. I just think that the tone that uh, Gillen is going for is served very well by Sanders' art here. So, luckily, luckily, Jamie McKelvey has never been able to match Kieran Gillen's uh, tone in anything they've ever done together. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just talking about. This, I know I'm this particular you series. Great um, Mike Del Mundo. Great early Mike Del Mundo covers on some of these. Yeah, we get some Cassidy covers. We get some Del Mundo covers. Um, John Cassidy is phoning them in. They're not. John Cassidy is drawing one or two figures and then being like, and Photoshop the background. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. Um, they're not terrible either, but and still um, John Cassidy. Yeah. So let's try and rank this. I think we both enjoyed it. We did. 
It's a good series. Yeah. Wait, you said rank, right? Yeah, on our uh, big old list. Of 714 X-Men comics ranked from best to worst. The best X-Men comics is, and I listen, at this point probably is going to be for a while. House of X, Powers of 10. Uh, number 100 on our list is Cable, 7 through 10, Waiting on the End of the World. Uh, number 200 on our list is Web of Spider-Man Annual, number two, Wake Me Up, I Gotta Be Dreaming. Uh, that one has Warlock in it, and he turns into a Godzilla. Uh, number 300 is The Invisible Woman Has Vanished from X-Factor 2. 102. Number 400 on our list is The X-Men Evolution House Party. Uh, number 500 on our list is Amazing Adventures 11 through 16. That's some beast. Early, early beast. Turning gray stories. Uh, Cable and X-Force, uh, X-Force and Cable Annual 1997. That's 600. Number 700 on our list is Wouldn't You Know It? The Legend of the Dark Claw. And then uh, the Draco's at the bottom. Hey, um, this is pretty good it is actually this 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 one's pretty good yeah it really is um i definitely think we're in the top like uh 200 for sure this is in the 200s yes yeah because it's better than 194 which is that that uh arc of wolverine and the x-men where kitty gets pregnant with the brood which i do not want to revisit uh because i bet since we ranked that early in the podcast there will be some things i find questionable at at this point (laughs) um I don't think it is as good as the first arc of Bendis's Uncanny X-Men at 149. I don't think it's as good as All New Dupe at 153. And I don't think it's as good as the Four Sisters arc of All New Wolverine at 157. Yeah, 161 is The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly from Deadpool. I think that is better than this, but we're I do too. We are but we're in closer. The right area. Um, I'm going to say something wild. Yeah, go ahead. At 170, we have the Leprechauns of Cassidy Keep. Yes. At 169, we have Age of X. And at 168, we have the Warpath issue of Uncanny X-Men 193. Okay. I think this is better than Age of X, but worse than that Warpath issue. I just want to do a a quick heat check here. Uh, At 174, Assault on Weapon Plus. This is better than that? I know you love that. How... How in the world, how in the world do we have Assault on Weapon Plus under the last will and testament of Charles Xavier? (laughs) What were we thinking? (laughs) I'm just checking. Is this where we want to put it? Yes. Yes. All right. Yes. I'm going to say yes. All right. So this is our new 169. Our new 169. Nice. Oh my gosh. I'm. Now you're angry about the list, which we make. Yes. I'm mad at, I'm mad at us. Well, (laughs) because. Okay, just so people know why I'm thinking this. Below Assault on Weapon Plus is eight or Avengers versus X-Men Consequences, a good Kieran Gillen comic also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is better than that anyway, and I think it's better than like I think it's way better than The Last Will and Testament of Charles Xavier, a comic that I'm befuddled by. I want to go I I honestly want to go back and listen to that episode right now and be like, "What? Zach? What? Cuz I know I argued for it. I know it had to be me." All right, so S.W.O.R.D. is a going concern for many years into the present, um, and we see them multiple times. Another time that they pop up is in um, volume four four of Adjectiveless X-Men. Um, this one's not as good as the last one. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. It's, so what I think of about this that's weird is that they said let's do an all ladies x-men team Mm -hmm. then the first person they put on it was brian wood yes who's if you don't know he's admitted to several allegations about being a sex creep uh the second person they have a chance they're like well it was brian's book before we're gonna let him finish it out brian's leaving book who do they bring in for this all ladies team it's mark guggenheim baby yeah from arrow <sighs> not not a great pick, in my opinion. I have done one interview with Mark uh, in my career. He was very polite. We talked about Maggot. Mark, if you ever want to talk again, I I have so many more questions for you now than I did then. <laughs> I was nervous then. I am prepared now. I am I am ready to ask Mark Guggenheim the hard questions. Like, what are you doing, buddy? <laughs> what? What? And... Why? And <laughs> why'd you do a story where every time Wolverine dies, 
he has to fight the angel of death. Mm, great question. And then he, a lady gets fridged so bad that he has to, he gives up on living because she got fridged so bad. That's not this story though. I just have a lot of Mark Guggenheim thoughts. Yeah. So she was a fish lady too. It was a weird story. I guess this story is technically called exogenous exogenous. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm not sure. And the most consistent thing about it is that it has Terry Dodson covers. Um, But this is X-Men volume four numbers, 18 to 22. Uh, It's the penultimate arc before G Willow Wilson finishes off the series. Um, I guess better late than ever with a, a female writer. And they um, finally got one. They got one lady to work on this book. It, yeah. Um, boy. Boy, this is not great. Um, not- um, art art on this is mostly handed off but between Harvey uh, Tolbao and uh, Dexter Soy. Uh-huh. Uh, I like Soy, but I like Soy when he's more expressionistic and doing weirder stuff. He's very reined in on this series and i think that does him a disservice um harvey has like two or three pages where he goes off and it's great and then the rest of the art's fine yeah there is a sort of um keith giffen like trencher area quality to the way that he works that there are pages where like there's a ton of line work and on like aliens and you know just a lot going on in a panel and it looks great, but beyond that, he seems to have some basic issues with facial expressions, anatomy, keeping characters on model um, that really don't serve this story. And it wouldn't help much anyway, because the story is very dumb and bad. Um, the story, um, for those of you who may not have a memory of this. Cause I forgot about this one. I assume most people have not read this. I don't remember this book performing. Well, I, it was the, let's see. One, two, three. It was the sixth, fifth or sixth tier book titled X-Men at the time. Yeah. So not, not the premier one, unfortunately. Uh, it's got the team is storm, Psylocke, Marvel girl, Monet, Jubilee, uh, and by Marvel Girl, I mean Rachel Gray. And then joining them on this is two other ladies, uh, Cecilia Reyes, who I know that Guggenheim loves. So I'm glad I'm glad he was like, well, I want to bring Cecilia into this. Mm-hmm. I get it. Sure. Also, Abigail Brand. Mm-hmm. And it gets weird because it's all it is all fix it fic. It is all Mark Guggenheim being like, well, I read these X-Men comics and you never followed up on these threads. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. So a master alien geneticist has been experimenting on Deathbird, who is found floating outside of sword outside of the peak and is brought inside. And it is learned that she is pregnant. Um, well, we knew, we knew, we knew uh, she was pregnant uh, from the end of uh, War of Kings. Oh, right. But it had never come up after that. Right. Um, well, that was, that was like four years before or something. Yeah. So, you know, timeline be damned. Um, here's Deathbird, and she's been medically experimented on, and... Um, this it's geneticist because, it's because her baby is not just a Shi'ar baby, even though Deathbird is not a uh, fully evolved Shi'ar or whatever. It's a Shi'ar mutant baby because it's Vulcan's kid. It's another Summers. That's right. And um, Deathbird is repeatedly referred to as Rachel's aunt throughout this. Um, took me a second. Not to... wrong. No, but it did take me a second to put that one together. Um, we're getting lots of flashbacks uh, to End of Grey's. And oh yeah, because the other the other plot in this is Rachel is feeling sad about end of Grey's and finds a guy who didn't kill her family, but was the guy who said we should just kill her family. Yeah, it was his idea. He feels guilty that it was his idea to be like, we should just kill him. So Rachel is wrestling with the idea of whether to kill this guy. Um, which I mean, 
I don't know who would blame her, honestly, <laughs> given the circumstances. But she look she, at who's on her team. You think Storm or Betsy or Monet would say anything? No, they'd look. Jubilee away. would say that it's not cool, man. Yeah, um, our normal sword cast of characters is not here. Um, but we do have a sidekick to Abigail Brand who turns out to be a traitor in a giant tiger man. Uh, yeah, that's Manifold Tiger. Yes. Great name. Love the Manifold name. Manifold Tiger is a fantastic name. <laughs> is just this random tiger man who's oddly important. So by the time they're like, and there must be a mole or somebody, you're like, oh, so it's it's this other guy that you just introduced. Yes, who is it, very important to the beginning of the story, even though we've never seen him before. Manifold Tiger, everyone's favorite sword character. So eventually our mad uh, geneticist comes after the peak. Um, the tiger tries and largely succeeds in killing uh, our protagonists in, in a couple of cases. Um, they get better. They get better. And the geneticist brings with her a an army of scroll brood. And the X-Men have to fight their way out. And hey, do they look like what you would imagine a scroll brood would look like? No, not really. No, they just they just look weird. Yeah, I mean they're fine. I, they I look, the problem is if you if you take a brood design and then make it green and a little humanoid, it just looks like the most generic alien you've ever seen. And I understand the scrolls were already pretty much from the start supposed to be the most generic aliens. They were little <laughs> green men in Fantastic right. Four number two. Yeah. Um, and all of this just seems like, I don't know, like we get to a point where Jubilee is running to their spaceship, the dove to get an AED to bring storm back to life. And by that point, I was just like, there seems to be a lack of imagination in the storytelling here. If we are asking these mutants these powerful characters who can, you know, launch lightning and pyrotechnics from their hands to go fetch the AED unit from the, the, you know, spaceship from, they took up into space. From the spaceship they took into space. <laughs> right. Like, also, it's asking us to believe that Storm would possibly die in, again, the fifth or sixth best X book at the time. Right. Like there's no dramatic tension here at all. We This know. is not a thing that's happening. Right, right. Um, I I said before we came on that I think the thing that bugs the heck out of me, and especially because I read this right after the Gillen stuff, is that Guggenheim also thinks he's funny here and uses a variety of different ways of sort of almost like almost fourth wall breaking parentheticals, you know, characters speaking off to the side and they all read as like, hello, fellow kids. Like it is. <laughs> and this is not uncommon with a lot of Guggenheim's work in general. It's a bad Joss Whedon impersonation. Yeah, that's not, that's fair. <laughs> and <laughs> you see that in arrow and in gold and in this, he's just kind of doing a bad Joss Whedon. Yeah. And the jokes don't land. Uh, the characters really don't quite sound like themselves. And the story is just kind of blase. Um, you know, they could not care less about this story, except for the fact that it continues to remind us that there is a summer's baby in space. Right. Yes. Adam, do you know how many summer's kit people have, lost kids that we haven't haven't uh like just gotten all together give, give me the head count so we definitely have nate gray's baby okay yep the demon one with threnody yep we definitely have Deathbird's baby mm -hmm. we definitely have adam x the extreme yes there's a lot hey also you ever think about how deken had adam x the extreme like yeah call him his father or whatever it's you know is from that lineage. Mm -hmm. Also, there's Slipstream and Lifeguard. Yep. Also, there's Xandra. Also, there's whatever Deathbird's baby is. It's a lot. I just think the next year our Civil War should be between all of the kids that they've had with random X-Men characters. That'd be great. 
Mostly the Summers family. Let's get it going. I can see Steve Orlando writing that story. Steve Orlando would write that story for Steve Orlando and me, and that would be it. <laughs> so um, this is not great. I don't enjoy it. Um, oh, I'd argue it's bad. Wait, wait. we forgot to mention um, it is a Mark Guggenheim book. So who shows up? Oh, the best part of this comic is immediately <laughs> when they call the X-Men. And they're like, we got to talk to Beast. Quick, call the X-Men. Who picks up? It's Ink, baby. <laughs> is that consistent with the last time Mark Guggenheim wrote Ink? I don't think so. <laughs> Do you know what Ink had been doing between those? Nothing. Not, not being on the X-Men. Mark Guggenheim loves Ink so much. And I love that for him. Like, I think Ink's trash and terrible. I love that Mark Guggenheim loves Ink. Every writer has their has their characters, but uh, it is really funny that he likes to bring ink back. So, all right, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this one anymore because it's not good. Um, yeah, let's rank this one. Uh, this is worse than the Burning World. Uh, this is this is worse than Primer. Oh yeah, what's that at? Uh, Primer is at four thirty seven. Okay. This is worse than Generation Hex. Oh yeah, definitely. I think this is probably a 500s book, honestly, because down at 496, we have Marvel Zombies Halloween Volume 1, and I think that's better than this. It's worse than Emperor Vulcan. Yep. Yep. Okay, we're getting into, like, actual, like, bad, bad comics at a certain point. Like, comics that I don't think we should read. Because uh, this isn't as... It's not as fun, but I don't think it's as bad as, like, the Star Trek X-Men comics. No. No, and that's down all the way down at 596. So I think we're in the 500s somewhere. Um, we're somewhere in the 500s. Uh, better or worse than Exiles 100 at 553. It's better than Exiles 100. Exiles okay. 100. Okay. Really better or worse than X Factor She Hulk Secret Invasion. The art is significantly better than the, than the art there. Okay. This is um, not better than the second time New Mutants go to back to Asgard at 539. Um, it's also not better than Alpha Flight 106. Okay. Is it better than that unpublished comic that we covered? The Family Ties issue? No. No, it is not. So Then it goes this... right above the X Factor. All right. So this is going to be our new 543. And uh, yeah, you can skip that one, folks. It's okay. It was... A skippable series. Yeah. Uh, what's not skippable, though? Sword Volume 2. Uh, Sword Volume 2 by Al Ewing, Valerio Skeedy, uh, with the third issue having some help with Ray Anthony Hyde, Bernard Chang, and Nick O'Leon. This um, is a beautiful book. Yeah, let's start with Valerio. And 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 uh, Marte Gracia. And Marte Gracia. We've all known that Valerio Skeedy uh, is goaded with the sauce if you read judgment day recently you understand how good just how how dang good skeety is or if you read inferno or sword or empire before it empire a book that al ewing really tried his best to make work and got about halfway there because the other half was dan slot uh, <laughs> i really like skeety i do too um like just one of the we're going to cover sword one through five uh, volume which is two. which is i think you could argue that you could argue that the hellfire gala issue is really the turning point but i think that that's i think the hellfire gala issue is really like the start of the next part of it because that's about storm's ascendance yeah yeah uh, i would agree that's that's where the book really pivots because uh, it stops being the sword book at that point. Right. Then we're transitioning into X-Men Red. We're, we're transitioning into planet size and all of that other stuff. So yeah, let's just, I, w I just want to talk about the first issue for a minute. One of the best first issues you could possibly ask for. I mean, you are getting everything here from a tour of the, the, of the mansion, if you will, a tour of the peak. You're getting all of these character updates, all of these amazing fashion redesigns of the characters. Skeedy's design work on this, just phenomenal. I mean, just blowing it out of the water. Um, we're, we see Wizkid for the first time in so long, and it is like one of the 
most amazing uh, refreshers on a character. I think a lot of people had a lot of fondness for that character and bringing WizKid back in this book. Gender just gender fluid WizKid is a great design. Ah, love it, love it. The chair, the 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 look. The chair that the chair that WizKid's like. Well, if Charles Xavier is not using his cool Shi'ar <laughs> wheelchair anymore, I am going to use it. Yeah. Yeah, um, and we're getting little glimpses at Blink, Amelia Vote is here, uh, Vanisher, uh, Peepers, Fabian Cortez, just a the Peeper. Here's the thing, the Peepers bit, because the, the first issue is about Magneto going to S.H.I.E.L.D. and walking around and being introduced to what they right. do. Right, it's getting the tour. He's getting the tour, and he's our point of view character. Uh, the bit with Peepers could be terrible in somehow Al Ewing and Valeria Skeety make it so good. Yeah, it's heartwarming. It's so great. Because here's the thing. Because you're an X-Men fan, you've read the comics with uh, Fabian Cortez in it a billion times. So you are much like Fabian Cortez when you're reading that. Like, oh, yes, this is the person that is Magneto's right-hand man in the best-selling comic of all time. What Al Ewing does is says, okay, but there's some really terrible Jack Kirby comics, uh, Captain America <laughs> comics, where Magneto has a new brotherhood, and he's probably still friends with Peepers from that. So Peeps. we'll just we'll just make him give Fabian Cortez a terrible time by being like, oh, yes, Peepers. As we all know, all of us, point of view characters, <laughs> Magneto's best friend, Peepers. It's so good. It's, it's so a great It's good. a great gimmick because it, it pays dividends. Um you know, because people forget that Magneto was largely unconscious for much of Fabian Cortez's tenure at, with the Acolytes. You know what I mean? In the parts where he was conscious, he did not necessarily like Fabian no, Cortez. No, absolutely he was like, not. Even even when he was using his power, he was like, I don't, I don't know how much I like this guy. Yeah. So between all of these guys, we get Frenzy is back. Um, Manifold is here. Um, not Manifold Tiger. This is the, the actual manifold. No, man, manifold, uh, Eden Fossey. Yes. Uh, Gateway. From Avengers. Yep. Gateway is here. I mean, just an incredibly smart cast. And then. And it should be too big, but it's not. It's not because Ewing very intelligently introduces, I believe this is the first time we see this, the concept of mutant technology. It's not the first time we see it, but it is one of the first times that it really gets evolved and it, that was happening a lot defined. It gets spelled out in a way that is, you know, it justifying was, it was, the six. It was almost concurrently happening at the same time as, uh, Vida Ayala exploring some of that stuff in new mutants. Right. It was a, it was an under undermined concept and I love seeing it here. It's great. Yeah. Because um, here's what the six are guys. The six are a combination of a mutant teleporting circuit and a bunch of mutants uh, who have the power to, how do you say this? Steal from God. Right. Break into heaven and steal from God. Yeah, the white hot room. Which Al Ewing has done. Y'all go read Al Ewing's Defenders and Defenders Beyond. I think we said that the other week. Go read that uh, if you want to know about Al Ewing's thoughts about uh, God and god in the marvel cosmology anyway in this one the x-men are stealing something from god and we don't know what it is until the very end of this arc where we know it's called mysterium and that's it yeah it's very avatar unobtainium uh style but it's this little black you know pyramid of coal if you will and um it'll it'll be really really important um to the stories moving forward even though this um this series is not particularly long lived. Um, I think one of the criticisms that I was remembering from reading this back the first time was that this immediately gets interrupted by uh, Null and by uh, King and Black. Yes. By King and the Black. Issues two through four get are a tie in to King and Black, where right. one and five are not. The um, I want to just complete my thought here on this. I want you I to complete your thought because I have thought. The other element that's getting woven in here is the snark war the snark war right that was so, my thought adam so al ewing uh is is using this book in a different way 
than it being a Krakoa centric book. And it's much more of an Al Ewing space book. Um, do you know where the Stark War started? Oh man. Uh, it's, it's Avengers. No. So it was, I mean, it's a power pack concept. Oh, power. Oh, right. Yeah. But the Snark War that Al Ewing set up comes from his <sighs> Resurrection Era Royals series, the Inhumans book that they didn't want to call an Inhumans book for marketing reasons. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, I actually read that over the weekend. Is it a weaker Al Ewing joint? Uh, yes. And part of that's because of terribly inconsistent art throughout the first mm. chunk of the book. Bummer. Uh, but then there is then there is the Snark War and also a point where uh, – Javier Rodriguez is doing oh. the art and it is killer. Yeah, I bet. So if folks want to know about the progenitors that show up in shield and X-Men red, go read Royals. Hmm. Also Royals just kicks off the snark war, but it happens here. But to your point, Ewing is juggling a lot. Yes. And, and is trusting readers to keep up. And in, in going back into this, I originally was like, I, I wanted to say it was to the book's detriment to its defense he really does lay out what is going to be happening in the first issue. He talks about those existential threats. And then when we get into those three issues, we deal with them. And so the only thing that's a little bit weird is that we have a venomized cable kid cable that we really don't understand unless we're reading the larger uh, book. That being said, it's still really, really good. I don't know. I one, there's two things I have. One, I don't know why people were shocked or upset that Al Ewing was doing a tie-in when he's Al Ewing, and that's how Al Ewing got his start at Marvel. Uh his giant opus of all of his work can be pretty much traced back to a tie-in with Infinity, mm. the Jonathan Hickman comic. And he did that tie-in and he did it well, and he did that with freaking Greg Landart. So you think Al Ewing and Valerio Shidi? Skeety can't do something great with a tie-in. You're nuts. Two, it's a big space threat. That's the tie-in. Why would the big space team not be dealing with the big space threat? Absolutely. And I think it, I mean, it doesn't hurt that these issues are absolutely gorgeous. Um, it doesn't matter if we're going to spend time with um, a Mentallo. <laughs> <laughs> Mentallo, the Avengers character, Mentallo, yes. You know, and who is introduced um, on the toilet. Um, <laughs> Great introduction. Like, no notes. We're going to get such beautiful sequences as Manifold just folding space and time and just wandering through the cosmos uh, as the colors shift around him. Um, so good. You're, you're going to get Sunfire basically like punching through a, a space venom dragon, um, you know, and, and it's still going to have those, you know, comedy beats that I think are, are kind of essential to this because this whole arc um, ends with Fabian Cortez essentially giving a speech uh, in front of the quiet council about why we should be, the mutants should be allowed to kill humans. And he's forced to do it naked <laughs> and gets basically laughed out of the room because, you know, peepers comes back and it's it just, just cuts him up to pieces. I mean, it's hilarious. It's funny. And it's also such a important thing for the book because it sets up, this is what Fabian Cortez's motivations are. That's one thing. Right. This is where Magneto's at. This is where Abigail Brand's at. And it's all specifically to show that Abigail Brand is, you know, her thing is she's not part of the Quiet Council. She is not tied in to the Quiet Council. She wants to be independent because her goal, and this is consistent with Brand's characterization from astonishing all the way through and even with some of her heel turn stuff at the end of sword and into red abigail brand doesn't care she doesn't think on the level of earth politics she is thinking on the level of how do you make sure that earth is able to best position itself in the galactic empire right which includes sending amelia vote off to us well she's not the assassin but she's she is, the vehicle she's the getaway driver she is the getaway driver to the iraqi uh assassin cora of the burning heart 
Horror um, of the Burning Heart, who rules. Who absolutely rocks and shows up at the end of issue five after Fabian has been defeated in the circle. And you're right. We're defining people's moral compasses here. And um, I mean, gosh, it just works. You know, I, Alan Ewing the- is, is a master at what he is doing here. And the artwork is just gorgeous. There is some fill-in artwork here, which, you know, is, well, is so you say fill in, best. you say fill in, but this is actually something that Ewing does pretty frequently on a lot of his books. On issue three, he'll bring in multiple artists to do multiple viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, when your fill ins are Nico Leon, Ray Anthony Height, and uh, Bernard Chang, I'm not complaining to you. No, 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 like, no, no, no. I'm not saying that, it's that whole issue, issue, issue three feels very, in my mind, feels very seamless. Largely because of Monte Gracia's coloring. Yes, I think that's really, really helpful. Um, but you know, we we get a sense of of space. You know, we get a space of location of cast, and I think one of the biggest things is just these characters have swagger and they have style. You know, uh, Brand is walking around in this uh, amazing green uh, suit, like a, a business suit uh with the with the blazer and slacks in the final issue i just like the there's just such smart design here down to you know the little sword x with you know it is literally a sword going through the circle because one of the x uh legs and it's the and it's the peak and it's ever this book is the is the promise of krakoa this is what got injected into X-Men. This is, we're going to make everything matter. We're going to make it so that it's oddly accessible, even though we're going to be throwing a million things that shouldn't work. Like they don't, they expect you to be like either to know what Amelia votes deal is or to be like, just roll with it. You'll be fine. Right. It's going to say one of the two. It's not going to put you in that weird middle ground where like, it's essential to know all of her details to figure out everything else in her role in the story. And with a cast that's this big, Ewing does such a good job floating those in. So when you have moments like Frenzy, who gets a small spotlight in issue four, uh, rescuing Cable and saying something uh, like, oh. I think I love you or something. And she's like, not nah, uh, the person who loved me or the only person I loved was your, uh, it, or if I was with the person that I loved, then I'd be your stepmom or something. Yeah. It's, what a, good, a, line. it's a good line. Oh my and, God. Like if you know all of frenzy's characterization before this, you get it. And that line has a big hit. And if you don't know, you're like, Oh, frenzy's hot for Cyclops. That rules. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's the same as true for vote. You know, if you don't know who she is or what her deal is, you can just go back to the spreadsheet that shows that she's one of the teleporters. You know, she's a like, teleporter. Great. Oh, okay, That's all you okay, need. Okay. And then if you do know vote, you get it when Xavier is hitting on her later after they leave the, the client council. There's so much good in here. Right. The art is phenomenal. Uh Skeety, honestly, I think Skeety elevated uh around the time of Empire. Uh and maybe maybe it happened on the Dan Slot Iron Man run, but I didn't read that. Um well, and the Gracia colors just sort of elevate all of this to another level on top of it. So it's so freaking good. Like this absolutely is absolutely gorgeous book. This is the this is the one you were waiting for. The book opens with a quote from Abigail Brand. This is what happens next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, nailed um, it. Nailed it. Cold shot by Ewing. <laughs> yeah. So while I do think that the King and Black stuff does work pretty seamlessly with the book. I do think that having to get pulled out of even just Al Ewing space territory is not the best thing, but that's a personal prejudice. I like, I just think King and black in general is pretty dumb. Um, I think here's what I think. I think that the King and black tie-ins could have been an empire tie-in and it would have been the exact same thing. And people would have accepted it better because King in Black uh, has a specific tone and feel to it that a lot of people who were reading X-Men at the time didn't love. Uh, it, it's just a different aesthetic feel. Yeah. I think that may have been. Yeah. 
a point to people, but I I don't think that King in Black hurts this. I really it's don't. not. It it's not like the problem. It's more of a pet peeve of me as a reader. You know, that's fair. When I read and get pulled out to these sort of extracurricular crossovers, I get annoyed, especially when it's a brand new book and it's the second issue. That said, it's still pretty freaking good. So it's, it's difficult to complain about. Um, but it, I think it maybe like takes a half star uh, off of a five star rating. I don't, I don't think that this gets as good as Ewing and later Stefano Caselli are going to get on X-Men red. Well, that's yeah. And the, which, all, all this is leading to that too, which is a step up, but like, what this book does just going back it works yeah here's what i'm gonna say we have a lot of we have a lot of stuff from this era around at 115 is empire x-men this is better than that i would agree i think this is better than the first arc of marauders Hmm. at 108 i think it is more consistent in what it does marauders is a fun story and like really works this is this is doing very similar stuff to Marauders in terms of, again, like realizing the Krakoa and House of X stuff and the revitalization of the franchise, um, but doing it with a better art in general. Yeah. Um, B, I think a story that is tighter. I'm just looking up the list because I highlighted at 103 New Mutants, uh, the Hickman run, and I think this is probably more solid than that. I um, also think this is better than the Hickman run of New Mutants. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm looking up the list, and we put last week the new X-Men annual uh, from 2001 at 76 feel like we're in similar territory here. Like, I don't know how much higher I would really go here. I think that the, I think that that annual is probably the right ceiling because like, this isn't as good as Wolverine blood and claws, which maybe that's the wrong thing for most people. Uh, but like you got, you got some really good stories up here. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not going higher than the magic mini. That's it. That's we're, we're talking like, Number 76 is that annual. Yeah. The Magic Storm and Ileana Magic Mini is at 71. Yep. We're in. These are good comics. I'm going to say number 80 on our list is X-Men Red, the Taylor Taylor's version. Yep. This is better. This is better than X-Men Red Taylor's version. Okay. We we got on the same page there. Um, Probably better than X-Men Season 1. Yeah, I would say so. You know what, Adam? I'm just gonna say, let's just put it right under that annual. I think that's probably the best spot for it because right it's below right that, there, right? right below that is the uh, Morlocks uh, mini. This is better than the, the Jeff Johns Morlocks. I would agree. So this is gonna be our new 77. Hey, if you haven't read Sword, go read Sword. It rules. Yeah, absolutely beautiful work here, and uh, definitely worth checking out. So, um, wow, that was fun. That was a lot of intergalactic uh, hijinks there. A lot of hijinks, a lot of intergalactic, a lot of fun. Um, Sword's great. Abigail Brand, such a good character. Love her. <laughs> Love her. Is she doing some racism right now? Yes. But you know what? Take the good with the bad, the happy with the sad. And what do you get? It's the facts of life, baby. That's right. Mateus, thank you so much for that recommendation. Uh, go support us on Patreon, pretty please. It helps out all of Comics XF. Uh, Adam, what do you got going on? Um, geez, I know I keep mentioning this. It, it was the Andor finale last week. So I am, by the time this comes out, we should have our coverage of the finale, uh, out on comics XF. So me, Austin and Armand AAA, check that out. If you are a patron of the comic book couples counseling podcast, you are getting a Christmas card that I made um in the mail soon so enjoy that that's it you remember when we you remember when we sent out christmas cards to all of our patrons that yes. you made yes i still have a bunch of those sitting in my closet oh okay all right well if anybody wants them um uh if anybody wants them they should have been patrons five years ago i'm not sending out christmas <laughs> cards folks i'm sorry that was love you exactly not doing it days. um back in back in the xavier files days it's great uh Logan is Santa Claus and he's got a brand new bag. <laughs> oh, man. Adam, you've made some weird art over the years. You know, it just, that's my life. I love it. 
I love it. I love it so much, buddy. Uh, next week, we're talking about everyone's favorite holiday holiday group. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen and Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall the most powerful man of all? That's Power Man. <laughs> and Iron Fist is there from, you know, from the guy that, from Marvel Snap. He punches your cards one over to the left. One of my favorite cards. Though I'm, I uh, think before we went on the air, I lost five straight rounds to Marvel Snap. So I need not, to have my ante, you know. Iron Fist is not the best card that we're going to be talking about in that the best one will be Colin Wing, uh, who absolutely owns so much. That's next week, folks. If you don't play Marvel Snap, we're just being absolute doofuses, <laughs> which is, I think, beautiful. Until then, folks, this has been Bow the Adam, and we hope you survive the experience. Get it!